Okay, well, if you've got this little booklet, um, although the questions will come up behind me, I might ask you to grab it out and once again go to page 10. We, uh, we can't seem to get beyond page 10 at the moment, which is all good because we're not in a hurry. And God's never in a hurry, and he lives his whole life from rest. And then when he acts, he acts swiftly. And we're going to focus on one particular question, and we'll see where we go, because I think this is the last day for the questions, because a lot of the questions are interlinked. But in view of what's just happened, meaning just our time just before, I feel the Holy Spirit say, I want you to look at this question, which is this. What gospel have we received? A relational-based gospel primarily, or a works-based gospel primarily? And why does it really matter? The first place position, the beginning, what we ultimately truly believe will define our lives. So what you ultimately believe in will shape what you think, and what you think you'll speak what you speak, you hear, and what you speak, you will live out. So if you ultimately have received a functional-based gospel where you think it's primarily about what you do for God and works, your life will reflect that. If you've received a relational fellowship-based gospel first, your life will reflect that. So our lives are the evidence of the gospels we've all received. If you can catch yourself and see yourself, then you will know which one you genuinely believe in. And they are both there. That's part of the problem. It's not like one's not there. There are works to be done, correct? But they're done from a very specific posture. And then you read about a relationship And so there is these whole lot of scriptures that define this relationship. And this is why this is so important. Because we are all born functional. So no one in this room is born in fellowship in God when you're physically born. So every one of us physically, when we're physically born, we are born outside of fellowship, relationship, aren't we? That's why we are born physically in sin. So not any human being starts in the position we need to start in. Now, in the Spirit, you do. So the Bible says, before the foundations of the earth, you and I were chosen in Christ. But you weren't aware of that, were you? And I certainly wasn't aware of that. So from God's perspective, which is what we must all have, we must have God's version of God's truth, not our version of his truth through either our own understanding or what someone else's maybe said. We need his version of himself. So in Christ, we were all, if you actually received him as Lord and Savior, you were predestined in Christ predestined in fellowship, union with God. You just didn't know it. When we are born, so 1969 to Lily and Alan Simnor in Liverpool, England, I am born outside of that. And I'm born in flesh, function, I'm dead in sin. I have no idea who I am, really. 
I've got no reference for being born in Christ because Christ is concealed from me and I'm also concealed from me because I'm in Christ. And so I need to actually discover, and this is the whole goal of Christianity, is to discover who I really am and who he really is before the foundations of the earth because I was born in perfection and God's trying to get me back to perfection. So I have to know the gospel. What is this gospel? Is it firstly relational or is it fellowship function? Knowing that when I start, I start functionally. And I look for my identity in what I do. I perform maybe for God and others because I don't know who I am. So works define and shape my value and my worth. But that's not what's supposed to be shaping those things. So there's a real issue, and it's a real issue in the body of Christ. This question is a massive issue today. So, Sam, I'm going to start with you. It's all yours. Cool. Yeah, I think it's, it's such, a, such a key question, eh? and I know, I know for me what, what you're describing has been so real in my life, having, if, you know, grown up and you know coming along to services and all that sort of thing and having a desire in me to want to live for God to the absolute best extent that I possibly could and it felt like the harder that I tried the further I actually um, the further I actually was away from entering into this life that I knew was on offer and instead of it leading to life I actually just became more and more condemned because I was trying to live for God to somehow soothe the tainted conscience that I had. And, and I think, to me, this, this is such a, a key, key thing, you know, to, to, to enter into this relational fellowship gospel first. It's the thing that actually does a deep work within us, that realigns us on the inside, that enable, means that the works that we do then do flow from a place of having been made right and having been accepted and flow from a true knowledge of him as opposed to trying to enter into that knowledge through the things that we do, you know. And and to me, the question here, it says, um, you know, what gospel have we received, a relational-based gospel or a works-based gospel, and why does this really matter? To me, the key thing which says, why does it really matter, comes back to what we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks to understand what God's big picture purpose is, that he has, before the foundations of the world, set in place a marriage covenant between us, his, his church, and Christ. To me, that, that defines it all. If God's ultimate intention was that as the body of Christ would be rescued from hell and go to heaven when we die, then of course the most important thing for us to be about would be when we've been saved to then go and rescue a whole lot of other people. And works would be the primary thing because how else are you going to rescue the world unless you get out and do good works to win people so that they can go to heaven when they die? But if we see God's ultimate purpose for us as the body, as a marriage covenant, then all of a sudden it takes it out of that realm and it takes it into what is this deep work that God wants to do in us as preparing us as being a bride that's fit for the bridegroom. And to me, you know, Greg, in one, 
one of the um, chapters in, in Bird's Eye View talks about our view of the finish line determines how we run. To me, it's our, our view of what God's ultimate calling and purpose is for us to be part of this marriage covenant defines why it's so important that this is a fellowship and relational first gospel and a functional absolutely but a secondary because we can do all the function and miss what his ultimate intention was, which is preparing us as his bride, you know? And so for all of us, we have to wrestle with these big questions um, and actually engage and participate in what his ultimate purpose is for us. Um, so to me, that those are probably some of the, the key things. Awesome. Mel, your thoughts? Yeah, um, definitely... Definitely relational if I think about the time and the context of my life when uh, he, he first came. Um, I was doing a whole bunch of things for myself and living my, my own life. And um, when, when he revealed himself to me, um, all I knew was love in that moment. Um, I, it was like he'd put a mirror up and I had looked at myself and realized how hard my heart had become, how cynical my thinking was, how darkened I was in my understanding. And it was only because he revealed himself as he truly is that I saw myself for what I had truly become. And because of his life and in light of his mercy, that broke me. And uh, so it was definitely hearing him speak to my heart. I've come to know him by heart, not by doing anything or even being found in a building. I didn't come to know God in a church building. And um, I think this gospel, receiving him and his word and the gospel, it brings us into the light of everything that is found in him, everything that once was a mystery. Um, I'm finding the life in him, everything that's contained in him. It, now I become a steward of this mystery. And the household changes. And I was thinking the other day about unity, you know, and what it looks like to be unified as churches, or as Greg was talking about denominations, you know, earlier. It's like it's not about combining households. It's about living in one household under one father and uh, one people. That's it, under one household. And um, he's so holy and so set apart. And the gospel I received set me apart to him. It wasn't a, a joining and a both and a duality of life anymore. It was not just conscious and self um, like. Um, unconscious and conscious or reality and hidden it was now the light was in the hidden places in every cave and part of my being that I was being turned from the inside out and now the inner reality was now living on the outer reality um, and this household that now was within me I, all I see is on the outside of me so um, before was ever to do anything he never asked of me that he was just showing himself to me and I was falling absolutely deeply in love with this God that reached out to me and and called me um, out of darkness and into light because of his grace and his mercy. Um, and then, of course, it's, you know, um, to submit to the word and to live in submission and surrender and humility of our great God because of the holiness of who he is, the set-apart God, no one like him. Uh, then it becomes this... Um, pleasure and um, demonstrative duty and honor 
to reveal who he is to others that is found in works. It's really just to reveal the heart of who he is and his love. The works become an expression of who he is within you. That's all they are. And it's so innate, isn't it? It's just like breathing. And it's like, as innate as it was to live an old life, it's that innate to live the new life. So just like you don't think to blink, you don't think to breathe, that's what it's like to have Christ as your source, as your epicenter, as the center now of who you are. David cried out, I want truth in the innermost being, the hidden place. That's the place inside the temple that God wants to come and establish himself. And Mal used a very key word there, revelation. And the, everything is based and built upon revelation. No revelation, still me. It's the revelation within you that we need. And we all need a revelation of the relational gospel. Because as I've said once again, none of us start in revelation. We stay outside of the reality and God wants to bring us into the reality. And that's why it's this in Christ life, which is a two-way life. So Christ comes and establishes himself in, and then we must be in him. So those two positions, in Christ, Christ in me, are a position of one, which is the true abiding place in me, in God, which is the prayer of John 17, where Jesus prayed, I pray that my church would be one. But outside of revelation, I try to enter in through reason, logic, and rationale, because I'm still partaking from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the tree that I'm of when I'm born. And so he's trying to get me back reform me back to the tree of life, which is where I started before I was physically born, before the foundations of the earth, because I've been predestined to know and be conformed into the image of the Son, which is Romans eight twenty eight to 31. It says, for all those that God foreknew. So if you've received him as your Lord and Savior, do you know that you are foreknown? So he knew you, but you don't know him. And so he loved you in a state before you loved him. That's what makes it so incredible is that he's not going anywhere. Like if he chooses me in a dead state physically, but he's actually chosen me before that spiritually in him, like it don't get any better than that. So why, why do I really care if any of you reject me? I don't give you that authority over me to crush me. I give my life, my heart to the one who will never crush me, who I entrust my entire being to, which is what Jesus said, because he said, because I know what's in man. See, Jesus knew Peter was going to betray him, didn't he? He told him. So why would you give your heart to someone that you know is going to betray you? But then he asked Peter, he says, Peter, hey, do you love me? Man, I've been loving you this entire time because you were chosen before the foundations of the earth actually in me because before I was with the Father and the Father was in me. So I'm just the manifestation now of the word literally on earth. But I saw you before you even were. I chose you, Peter, before you were, so I know how the story ends. He knows how your story ends, but you don't. But he does. And he wants you to fall in love with him 
before you're doing works for him because he doesn't actually need you to do works for him. He doesn't. He created it without you and me. So he doesn't actually need us for works, does he, as a primary. But we need us for works. Because if we don't have works, who do we have? And the place that I've had to get to in my own life, being in the position that I hold here and the gift of my life is this. I have to be at rest with doing nothing and being completely at rest loving that position. Otherwise, I've still got part of me entangled in functional works where my identity, my sense of meaning or accomplishment or purpose is going to be found, which is a demonic wisdom, which then how I lead will be demonic and will lead people into the posture I'm in. And every single one of us has to be at complete rest in Christ, who is Christ, to do nothing for him because he doesn't need us. Then he says, let's join the party. So please don't hear we're not saying, we're not saying there aren't works. It's very clear there are works, but from the posture of in him. And that's where all the works you find rest. See, stress and burnout in the body of Christ is the evidence of not being in Christ. You're still in you thinking you're in Christ, doing works for Christ, but it's your strength, your energy, your ability, your striving in you, not in Christ, as Paul said. So whenever I look and I see especially leaders and senior leaders burning out, there's a reason why. And we think it's because of what we do for him. And we can even glorify that and go, man, I need to go and have a sabbatical because I'm working so hard. And Jesus is going, you don't need a sabbatical. You need repentance. I promised you rest, not stress. And I'm speaking from my own experience, my own testimony of the Holy Spirit showing me things. And it's the same with what we're talking about. He has to show you everything. So he actually has to show you why he gave you life. He has to show you the purpose. He has to show you the marriage covenant between Christ and his church. You can't intellectualize this and expect your life to change because in your innermost being, when he shows you, when he replaces you as the source for himself, and then he shows you why, and he shows you what's at the end, and then he takes you to the scriptures, and then he shows you through the scriptures... You've just come into the realization of oneness. And you have answers as to why things aren't the way they are. And you're like, and then you actually go that way because you can see. And the crazy thing is, and it would be very sad that if we entered into relationships for function with people, wouldn't it? Like that would be incredibly sad. If, if I got married to Danielle for function, that's a real sad relationship. And that relationship isn't really going to have a lot of life in it because as soon as one of or both of us don't perform through function, we're going to have issues. And especially if I'm looking for something to get from my wife to fulfill, fulfill me, we're really going to have issues. 
because she's also starting in the position that I'm starting from, so what can she offer me? Until she also is changed through power, through revelation, where she's no longer the source, he's the source like me. And this is our challenge as the body of Christ, but when we still have this functional, fleshly posture as our number one, and then we may become part of a church where the church itself and the leadership have that too, then flesh loves flesh. And we then get in this motion of flesh and flesh. And so the purpose is around functional tasks. That becomes the number one. Predominantly, it's go to reach lost people. That becomes the driver of that church and the leadership of that church. But that wasn't Jesus' driver. That's an outcome of being in love, but it's not to be the driver because it wasn't his. This actually tells you all that. And even without revelation, it tells you that. What is the greatest commandment? Right. See how it's not reach lost people. But you need revelation for it to change you. But without revelation, God is clearly defining his number one priority. And he says this, which I find real fascinating in John, and challenging. Real simple. One line. actually everywhere but I want to just say it exactly if you love me you will keep my commandments so God is saying to us church children if you love me then you will love me that's the number one it's not what you do for me otherwise you would have said hey, if you love me, go do these things for me. He doesn't. He actually says, if you love me, then love me. Keep the very thing I'm instructing you to do. For that's eternal life. You see, it's not just about the doing of this thing. It's about coming into eternal life. So when the rich young ruler said to him, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? Not heaven, not eternity, eternal how do i enter into the substance of eternal life which isn't earthly it's eternal he said keep the commandments and the rich young will say but i've done that then why aren't you in life because you actually can't keep the commandments through you you can't keep it the way he intends it to be kept you can't love god without receiving the love of God. You can't love God while you're still the source of you in the love that he's commanding you to love him in. I can't love you and these guys the way I'm commanded to love without the love of heaven. And we go, hmm, well, that's a bit of a bummer. So I'll go do what I can do. Do you hear what I said? Yep. 
I can't do that, so I'm going to do what I can do. What can you do, Greg? Well, I can do works. But I'm not asking you to do works, Greg. I'm asking you to love me and people. But I can't, God. I know. So, God, I'm going to go do works. But I don't need you to do works. I've done all the work. I know you have, but I'm still going to go do works. Why? Because the alternative is too scary. I know it is. That's why I've set you free from fear. You know, the Holy Spirit is to be our comforter, correct? Do you know why? Because he's going to mess your world up. And when he messes it up, he's going to comfort you. And this is the problem, see, because there's the gospel, God's version of the gospel, and then there's our version of the gospel. And it's not a new gospel. What God's been doing here for 10 years is actually preaching the gospel, not our version of it. And it starts with this commandment, the very thing not one of us can do until we've received the empowerment through the surrendering of our lives completely, the broken on the cornerstone, and then the turning, knowing that you can't. And when you know you can't, you become hungry and thirsty for what you can't do. Did you hear that? You become hungry and thirsty for everything you can't do because you know what you can't do is of him and what you can do is of you. And you know that has no life associated with it. And God, through his scriptures, has given us evidence of the way of himself. Like there are, and I don't want to have these stories that say there's testimonies of people that have done certain things the wrong, wrong way round, and then God comes into their life to show them and speak to them in the hope that they would repent and turn. And they're there so we can learn from them. They're not there as, oh, that poor fellow, Sam, he got it wrong. They're there for us to go, is that me? Like, am I outside of someone I should be in? Am I in the life of what this says I can be in? Or am I actually like that person or that people group? And it's not a bad thing. It's not a right or a wrong thing. It's an in him thing. Because his love is covering us all. And it doesn't get any better than that, eh? And so we have to take full advantage and come into the reality. We have to take full advantage of a love that's covering and a love that wants to empower. So we can have this life within us which then enables us to keep this relational commandment and out of that flows works. Anyone have a question? You may, but come and grab the mic. And he always leaves us examples, doesn't he? So as I'm sitting there, I'm just burning inside. And, and um, when's the first time that we hear Scripture introduce Jesus by his own words? Nope. 
What is the first words that Scripture records that we hear Jesus say? And where was he? How old was he? Right. And what were his words when his natural mother said, where have you been? Is that relational or functional? And then when Jesus was baptised, what were the words? Louder. That's right. This is my son whom I love. Is that relational or functional? Who's our example? Mic drop, hey, mic drop. <laughs> and if you are new here, this is how we roll. <laughs> like we all have revelation to a measure, we all have gifts, and we make room for the gifts to express themselves done well. And that's what the body's to be. It's not just a person, it's the people of God who express themselves through like Jay, Jay just come up to me. Can I share? Absolutely, of course you can. Other thoughts, guys? You must have plenty of thoughts, mate. <laughs> I think that the key thing to me is, you know, is, is understanding the context and the covenant that we have with him. You know, um, to me that the I know personally that has defined so much for me in the way that I live. You know. Over the last few weeks, we've been obviously talking about this marriage covenant, and and Greg, you know, you talked about the key being revelation, you know, and you know, one of these questions here, we were, you know, talking about this great mystery of the marriage covenant. To me, I've just been pondering on, you know, why is it a mystery when it's when it's hidden in such plain sight? You know, it's like the scriptures clearly talk about a marriage covenant. You know. Why is it a mystery when it's so out in the open, you know? And it's not a mystery in the sense of, Greg, have you heard that God's purpose is a marriage covenant between Christ and the church? Don't tell anyone. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not that kind of mystery where there's like the secret group of people who have a kind of knowledge. The reason why it's a mystery is because it's in such plain sight, and yet it takes revelation to go from being an intellectual concept to a living reality, you know? And I think, you know, Paul in in Ephesians 3, he talks not about, he talks about bringing to light not what is the intellectual knowledge of the mystery, but what is the administration of the mystery that's been hidden in God, but's now been made known to the church, you know? And God's looking not just for us to wrestle with these questions about, you know, what is the greatest commandment, what is God's eternal purpose intellectually, but he's looking for an actual administration of that mystery through not the panel, but through you, through us, through the body of Christ, that we would live lives that reflect a revelation knowledge of this marriage covenant. We'd actually be living in it and from it and for it, it wouldn't just be something that we intellectually dialogue about, you know. And so to me, when we talk about, uh, you know, this this fellowship or function, you know, this relational or functional gospel, having a, a genuine revelation knowledge 
of what it is that we are called to actually empowers us to live relationally because we know his heart and we've actually connected with that heart. His heart's become our heart. We've actually become one with him. The things that he loves, we love. Things that he values, we value because we've received the mystery within us, you know, and and we've become an expression of that mystery that the world can look at and see, well, what's, what's God's plan for the church? Oh, look at the church. They're actually living in it, and that's why, you know, he wants to raise up a people who, uh, you know, demonstrate that mystery here on the earth, hey? And like you say, I think it's a a mystery in a sense that it's in plain sight and it's in words, but but to know the mystery and for the mystery to be revealed is hidden in the life of Christ, and so we actually have to be hidden, find our life in Christ so that the mysteries are revealed to our heart, and it's it's revelation that we're now living in Christ, the light of the mystery, and we become stewards of that mystery. And then also we understand what it means to be the manifold wisdom of God on the earth. And that is no longer a mystery. We, the people, are now making it in plain sight, not in just words, but in power and in demonstration on the earth, something that was kept and hidden for, for ages, guys. For generations, they didn't. It was it was hidden until Christ and His gospel came, and for us who know it, who have been found in it, who have been found in the life of Christ, hidden in Christ, we have come to know the mystery of Christ and all the ways to administer on the earth. So, no longer is it a mystery to the church who know Him and where He's been revealed, but the church is hidden in Him that she's finding all this out. I was just going to say... Oh, sorry. And can I just... Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Normally it's going to be nice scraping it out for a word. (laughs) No, I was just going to say... But... but, uh, And and this is what, you know, when Jesus says, I pray that they would be one so that the world would know that God loves and that God sends his son. And so I just wanted to add, that to the world, this and this is the point, guys, of the church being who she's supposed to be on the earth, who we're called to be, is to demonstrate something so profound that the world would look on and would be mesmerized and curious and wanting to know what is it. And that is what gives glory to who God is. And so, yeah, it's like the church has a secret, you know, and living by a secret made manifest. Absolutely, and I think it's it's not the works of the church that win the lost world, right? You know, it, it's it's actually the, the true demonstration of Christ's life and His nature being expressed through the church. And it says that to you know to become one, to, you know, to to love like Him and to think like Him and to act, you know, it's 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 in that oneness that a world sees, not in the ability to go and do good things, hey, you know? Can you hear the difference between the two kinds? They both begin with F, but there's an order to them. So it's either fellowship function or function fellowship. And so we must be in the order of fellowship function. And so this is the challenge because what you partake of, you'll become, won't you? So if you eat of the functional gospel, you'll become functional. If you partake of the fellowship gospel, you become one with God. 
And from that place, like Christ, we'll live out function. So just like in anything in the natural, if you, what you put into your body will have its impact. And so this is where he says, and John invites for fellowship, because true fellowship is the partaking of the food source, another F that we need to be able to live out and be this divine demonstration that you're hearing about. Because the demonstration is divine. It's not earthly, it's eternal. So that means I must receive the fellowship gospel first. The, 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 the gospel that I'm receiving must be of a fellowship, a union, a common union, a oneness with God. From that, I move. Now, the problem is that will define how you treat one another. So this whole reality of what's first defines everything and who we become and how we actually live. It'll determine your union with one another and then you living from that place or not. You see, the problem is, and this is the problem with leadership, leadership who at their first primarily are functional treat the church and whoever around them as an asset. Have you been treated like an asset? Have you been made to feel like you've been an asset? Where the person is only really interested in you for what you can do for them. Not as family. This goes on more than it should. You're a resource. You've got a gift. But you miss the person in it all. And so it becomes about what they can do, not who they are. And so when they don't do what you want them to do, you put them on the asset register list. They depreciate. And they lose their what? Value. It's horrific. And it goes on all the time. And then we go get another one, and the process continues. Now, here's the thing. The church does it to the leadership too. You're not performing. Go get another one. And that person ends up on the scrap heap because they fell. And the process continues. And this defines everything. The first defines it all. You see, you then start realizing why God says this, to love another more than you're not worthy. You see, this is where it starts to go. So this fellowship gospel starts to shine the light on areas that we may not want it to shine on. And so we stay in the darkness. And we hide. And the darkness stays in us because it's flesh. And God says, it's time I want to address that. I want to address that person in your life that's getting in the way of me and you. I don't want you to address that, God. Then you'll stay in bondage. Like he doesn't address it to hurt us, he addresses it to free us. That possession... Because it's a control game, isn't it? We want to stay in control. But do you know we are out of control while we stay in control? Like while you're trying to stay in control, you are spiraling out of control. 
control C is in Christ. That's where you find life. And so he has to address all these things in our lives, and some of them are so deep, man. And especially if you've been hurt at a young age, some of these things are real deep, real raw. And only he can set you free. Like, only he. But sometimes we don't even want to address them, so we just put a bandage and we say, we'll just keep doing works. Because then, like Sam said, you start feeling guilty because, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do and I should. All these words like should, supposed to, that's a commandment. Oh, no, I'm going to be bad. And we're missing and we're outside of the life. Like when I now read commandment, I just love it. Like it's, 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 it's not heavy. Like it even says the commandments of God are not burdensome. They are if we're still living, but if you've died and let go of you and entered in and laid hold of him and him of you, it's a joy and an honor, like Mal just said. And so this whole gospel we've received defines everything. And unfortunately, once again, the functional posture, and I hope you can hear when I'm talking, I'm talking about the operating system, not people. Okay? So you never judge self-righteously the person, but you're called to judge and discern the operating system that's coming forth from the person. Jesus said he judges through hearing. So as he hears, he makes a right judgment to go, that's not of my father, that's of man painted up as my father. So we are not to judge one another self-righteously, but we are to discern what is coming out of. So discern what's coming out of my mouth. Judge it as if it is God. But you need to take it to God and ask God. Don't discern it in your human mindset. Discern it from his mindset. That's why he's given you the mind of Christ, so you need to know what that is. And so there is this effect that we discern and hear, and that's the best way to do it. Close your eyes so you can't see. Because that's what he said to the people. He said, because you can't see me and there's no form, you've got to hear me. But if you make a discernment based on what you're looking at and the flashiness and how good it looks and how sharp it is, you will always be led astray. Just because it's highly functional doesn't mean it's in fellowship. Just because it is very good at what it does does not mean it's of God. God can use it, but it doesn't mean it's of him or from him. And we need to be aware of all that too. And that's the challenge. Because if you place yourself under that, then you're going to be receiving from that very kind. And you will become of that kind. And we're only to be of one kind, which is him. And two kinds exist on the earth, and they always have and they always will. Because we're in a war. So I discern, I hear, I take it to him, and I ask, and then I come under him. And the Bible says, if you're under him, you'll have the life of him. So the operating system you place yourself under, you will have the corresponding life of that operating system. It's as simple 
is what Sam said. It's that simple. It says it. It means it. It's true. That's how we can know. And so this wisdom that we are to demonstrate is divine. It's eternal. And it says the children of God are proving, they're making right this divine wisdom. So the first act of divine wisdom, so the first work is to love him and keep the commandment. The second is to love one another as he loves you and I. So that is the starting point. That's the first work. But if I'm not in fellowship, then I'm going to try. And I will never be able to keep the commandment because I, through me, who's still living, am trying through my strength to keep something that's eternal and I'm still earthy. Never mind preaching Never mind coming to the March the 6th and getting into your neighborhood and handing out invites. Like All that comes out of love. And when you fall in love, you can't help but, yeah? I had a picture earlier um, while we were in that beautiful praise time and I was thinking about the elders in, um, in, in Revelation and uh, the creatures that go around the you know, the throne, and they, holy, holy, and we know that it's like day and night they're doing that, they don't run out of energy. But the, the elders, it says how they, they cast their thrones before the throne. Oh, they cast their thrones, they cast their crowns before the throne. And I just thought, man, that is the heart response that is so innate and involuntary. Like, I just imagine just a, a flinging off of, of the crown that the Lord has given them and they fling it because they know who's before them. And I think it's that kind of life, that kind of kind (laughs) that has this innate, they live with this innate and voluntary way of uh, Christ in them, but they they know who their God is. And so they walk as royalty because they know what Christ has done for them. They have a crown on their head, but they also know when to bow down and fling that crown when he's before them in his fullness. And so it's it's living with this deep and awe of the one who saved you, but then it's also loving him deeply and equally that you live from that innate response involuntary, uh, like sneezing. It's so involuntary. You can't, you can't help but sneeze, right? When that thing comes, it comes. And um, sometimes it surprises you even. <laughs> but I was thinking, you know, what, what, knowing that sne- with sneezes, we can't make it happen, but what's one thing that does make it happen? That's when we look at the sun, and I, I just, yeah, it was just this morning I got that same sense of like, man, when we look at the sun and when we set our gaze on him, where we, we're living from such a true source that we never run out of energy of gazing at him and circling him. And we never uh, find ourselves, um, it, it's hard to love him or it's hard to do anything for him. It's such an involuntary, innate response to the love of God that we pour ourselves out. And it is, it's like a, a fragrance to him day and night for eternity. And he so desperately wants us to be in this life, yeah? So you can't hide from him. He will always be ready, willing and waiting. Because our natural wants to run away from what you're hearing because it all becomes too hard. Because you're being made aware that you can't enter in 
and there's things that need to be let go of. And so you have a decision to make. And the decision was going to determine everything about the life you will or won't receive. And it's not a love issue because his love is covering your decisions all the time because he loves you unconditionally. But the choices you're making are determining the life you're going to receive. So it's really about you and what you desire and what you want. It's not about him. He wants you to want him. He wants you to discover who you are. He wants you and I to be free of all things. It's just whether we do. So his heart is for you. Is your heart for you. And that's what makes it so tricky. Let's not run for a perishing crown. And if we don't know the crown of life that's been given to us, then I would maybe suggest that it's looking at what throne we're sitting on. And to give up the throne and to give him the throne where he deserves, we will know the crown of life and we will stop running for a perishing crown that doesn't actually exist. One more question before we wrap up. The renewing of your mind. So the mind must be renewed and being renewed for us to grasp what we're talking about. Okay, So we all start with the mind of man, and that is a fallen mind. My thinking is futile. You do not have my thoughts, Greg. You do not have my ways. So I need to renew your mind. I need to give you a brand new mind. It's called the mind of Christ. Now, unfortunately, what's been taught is that you all have the mind of Christ when you receive Christ, so I've already got the mind. But if the evidence of that is what is being lived out, then that's a freakish mind. So I say it like this. When you receive the Spirit, you have the potential to now have your mind renewed to his mind. And that's the journey of having your mind renewed, which is Romans 12, 1 and 2. So if my mind isn't being renewed, I'm not going to think as God thinks. If I don't think as God thinks, I can't live as God says. So I end up rejecting what God says and believing what I say. Well, then I'm going to have the fruit of what I think because it's my mind telling me what the truth is. So if I tell myself this, the purpose of God primarily is to reach the lost people, and I believe that, then I will live that. But as we've discussed this morning, that's not what the scriptures say. So I'm out of alignment, whether I like it or not. There's a way that seems right to Greg, but its end is death. I'm not in the life that this says I can have because I don't actually think the way God thinks. So the problem is not God. The problem is little g, Greg. And I think that to me that's why it's so important that it has to be a supernatural transaction, right? You know, the, the words that the NASB uses is to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So having your mind renewed doesn't look like filling it with information about the Scriptures. It's actually having, you know, being renewed in the spirit of your mind means that the Holy Spirit is actually implanting and infusing His thoughts and His mind into, into your both your mind and into your heart, so that you can actually think and see like him. So it's not a matter of, 
you think one way and you're trying to somehow persuade yourself otherwise, it's actually that the Holy Spirit implants in you a completely different way of seeing and living and operating. You know, so that that's that kind of process that we need to to enter into. Um, for mindset, I found in the beginning stages um, in my journey that if I was in a situation, I would just it would just come to me, what would Jesus do right now? How would he behave or what would Jesus say? It was just that easy. <laughs> it's childlike. But growing up can be a delicate thing. But maybe being a kid is exactly where we're supposed to be. Father, we thank you. We thank you we get an opportunity to know you and to continue to come to know you. And in the knowledge of you, we come into life. Lord, you say we perish for a lack of true knowledge because we're still eating from a wrong tree but there's another tree available and it will always be present and your love is covering us so we can be crucified on the inside and so Christ's life, the resurrected life can come and be built on the inside out of us. I thank you that we are on this journey with you and people are joining this journey, this family and we're wrestling together and contending for life in you. I thank you that you're defining it. You're the one doing it. You're the one that's building it. And we can be at complete rest in all the outcomes as we just walk with you, being led, inspired, and empowered from the inside to be the demonstration of you. And as 1 John 2, 6, to, 6 says, to walk in the manner in which you walk. Disciples of Christ. Amen. We're um, going to be unpacking John again. John, I think it's about 6 to about 19 tonight, just in the cafe. And so I really encourage you to come out for that. Outside of that, have an awesome day. Maybe go home for lunch. Enjoy the sun. I think it's still sunny. Go online and marinate in the stuff. Eat it, drink of it, eat it, drink of it. I said to Mel the other week, five to ten times is about how much we should be eating and drinking one, one deposit of food throughout the week. Put it on wherever you are. Amen? Have a cool week.